and we are recording, recording in progress with the one and only Mr. Andre Martianov and James Howard Kunstler on here on Tuesday, February 14th, 2023 at 3 p.m. Eastern time to discuss uh, losing military supremacy, Ukraine, and uh, all things, I suppose, nihilistic. But uh, yeah, J- and so Andre, uh, could you mention, I guess, your interest or uh, of, of Mr. Kunstler? Because you, you mentioned it when you were on here with uh, with Larry, and I was like, oh, I've had Joe on here. I can, I can, I can put this together. What, what, what led you to him? Sorry, what? What led? Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? What led you to uh, Jim Kunstler? Oh, I've been reading his blog for years now. Actually, I'm being a jerk not putting his blog into my list, blogger list. And I constantly have to remind myself, I have to put it in, and then I forget. And, you know, uh, first, um, obviously, it doesn't mean that, James, uh, as much as I admire your English, which is virtuosa, and again, I will repeat it again, anybody who wants to learn proper English, virtuosa english they need to read james counselor you know counselor but uh this um it is obviously alternative point of view which is extremely important and why i agree 95 percent of what james writes there are some things of you know points which i might disagree but it's it's outstanding blog and uh it's kind of came naturally i think so i uh got to james few years ago maybe five to six years ago maybe even before that through there have been uh publications in, at ons on the review and of course american conservative and uh, when i saw that james will be writing there about localism i was in you know overjoyed but then you know so and after that it was very easy i just follow him constantly <laughs> jim well i i don't look back so it might be catching up to me um so there kind of is very loosely there is kind of a, a similarity between both y'all's work i mean jim and i talking about uh kind of the end of suburbia peak oil the the hyper advancement of our society which we have taken as the status quo is actually a very unusual and unnatural phenomena but it just feels like forever because it's been going for the last 100 200 years and then andre's book losing military supremacy which for everybody listening, both your blogs are in the uh, in the description, and uh, Andre's book is in the description. Grab it on Audible. About, I guess, the top-heavy military hegemon, and I think, as you said, the defining nature of any truly powerful empire is military victory. And you know, we kind of have the the myth that America is back-to-back World War champs. And it's not true. I mean, the United States, you know, no light thing, lost four hundred twenty-five thousand soldiers in World War Two. Russia lost what 27 million and we've kind of had and it's and again the other thing is um you know the there's a nature about the United States which is itself unique separated by two oceans and then two mountain ranges so we don't feel war the same way and they're both kind of it almost seems like they're both defining the end the end of an era and that this has been a long time coming could could you maybe touch on that andre um i can easily touch on that and uh here i want to refer to james to jim again because i actually quoted it in my books uh in the latest one and yeah that is funny isn't it that i never put james blog on my blog bro. <laughs> it's just ridiculous 
and I quote James in my <laughs> books. Uh, there is a piece which he wrote a uh, couple years ago, maybe more. It's a genius, absolutely. It's called The Elegy uh, for the Baby Boomers. And uh, it was outstanding piece, which uh, is pivotal in understanding what is going on when he described the, basically the wasteland, which the generation of the baby boomers left the United States with. And uh, absolutely, one of the reasons for that, and when we talk about the how to fill the war, this was generation, they are called baby boomers for a reason, which was born in the comfort and easy going of the country which emerged from the World War II, the only country in the world with the basically uh, pockets filled with cash and huge number of the IOUs from around the world, you know, so why not to leave? It was great. The, the going was great. GI Bill was great. You know, GI's Bill was great. So it, it, it was good. Then Eisenhower, great, uh, you know, building of the American highway system, you know, so the, the going was good. Life was good, you know. Suburbia was good, you know. So it's, um, it's wonderful. As I uh, constantly on uh, record, Russians, for example, many, very many Russians, are very much aware about America of the 50s and early 60s. And the aesthetics of this America, you know, is dear to Russian heart, you know. So it's, uh, that's what it is. And then you have those people who are completely unaware of the war. They don't have those developed inhibitors, you know, which kind of, you know, for example, like it was the case with Eisenhower and JFK, who knew what war is, and uh, they could understand and apply their experiences and intellect to the international arena. You have people who grew up in those, you know, silver spoon uh, in their mouth, and they have no clue what they're talking about. Plus, of course, they cannot calculate. They cannot count. They're really bad. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Jim? Um well, I have to frame my view of what is going on uh, with two basic ideas. One is my theory of history, which I might have dropped here before. My basic theory of history is things happen because they seem like a good idea at the time. <laughs> now, one of the problems with that is that you need people with a good heuristic sense to be making those choices and if the people who are who are doing that do not have good heuristics then you have a problem then the things that they see that they think are a good idea at the time are actually not a good idea and then you have to live with the consequences of that we've made many many choices in the last 50 years in my country uh, our country uh, uh, that were not good ideas at the time but they seemed like it so that's one thing uh, I have to use as a frame. The other thing I have to use is uh, the idea that events follow emergence, meaning that uh, history itself, that is the march of events uh, through human affairs and, and human systems, uh, follows the basically the rules of emergence, which is to say, uh, self-organization, self-organizing principles, so that the uh, uh, circumstances of the time and place that you're in inform the future, literally, uh, and, and cause it to roll out a certain way. 
and uh, uh, often in surprising ways. And uh, so a lot of what we're seeing uh, may not appear to be a, to make sense in any kind of a linear way, but it is emergent. And, and uh, one of the most uh, bizarre emergent features of the time we're living in is the incredible loss of uh, sanity and common sense in American culture and and the their pursuit of of uh, hobgoblins and fantasies figments and hallucinations and uh, it's really a striking thing uh, it's hard to account for but uh, you know perhaps we'll try to account for it a bit today hmm. you really are great with words Jim um, oh yeah oh, shucks <laughs> <laughs> Um, you make me blush but no 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 you are incredible and you are unique in many your style is unique it's absolutely um and and andre in your book you do kind of point that out yeah the the eisenhowers and the jfk have a much more realistic view of war and that it should be avoided and that it is hell and that there is no glory in it whereas Patton has more of a a jock kind of, you know, let's go get it. Let's go be a man. Let's go, you know, I am a reincarnated. Yeah. It's, it's, and, (laughs) and we have that privilege again, not just because of the size of the military, but again, we were the only nation that came out of world war two unscathed and that our actual cities were not bombed into dust like that. That's a huge thing. It's not, it's so we, we, Everyone else had their had their had their table flipped and we got to keep playing the same monopoly game. And because all of our all of our military operations are inherently expeditionary because they're not happening here. Pearl Harbor. OK. War of 1812. OK. 9-11. OK. We don't feel it. So we don't see the effects of what it's like getting drunk, but not having a hangover. Your yeah. liver is still dying, but you don't feel it. So you're like, yeah, what do I care? I'm going to get shit faced tonight. Yeah. That is. And it kind of seems like that can only go on forever, though. Like, we are seeing right now that, yeah, no, you can't just run military bases up to the border of Russia. Surprisingly, I know it's hard to believe, but they're going to fight for their homeland. They don't They don't want us right there. We don't feel it because it's distant. It's just a bunch of kind of hollow political spiel. We're going to defend democracy. It's just a bunch of bullshit. It's yeah. very real there. And, Andre, you kind of point to that in your book that we are in for a rude awakening if we think that Russia is just going to roll over and let us bully them. I I wrote it in uh, January 2015 mm-hmm. that um, once there, um, when you when I saw that uh, after the Baltsova and Ilovaisk when the um, uh, uh, Donbass militias surrounded enveloped uh, ukrainian forces and annihilated them and it became extremely bloody it was clear that it will not end uh you know in any good way especially for the united states and combined west and i wrote them and it was what more than uh well it was actually eight years ago that united states sustained a strategic defeat they don't know this yet but it's over and we saw this drama, as James says, emergent things, you know. So for the last uh, nine years, and now it kind of came to the, some kind of resolution. And uh, the question is, as I already stated, the United States, its elites, its contemporary elites, 
they cannot do strategy. They don't know what it is. They love to use the term, you know, they love to use the term, you know, the strategy, you know, this operational view of things. And then you begin to dig to there, uh, there and it's like, oh my gosh, it's completely hollow. They don't even understand what it is. They know, they know how to do strategy, but strategy, <laughs> forget it. No way. And that's the result. We can see it today. And uh, even for the last week, uh, you can see a rather dramatic change of tone in the American media. And it's like, oh, yeah, things are beginning to happen for them, too. You know? Yeah. Um, well, what what stands out is the thought that anybody thought this was a good idea at the time to to uh, encroach upon Russia's borders this way after they gave uh, many, many signals that they wouldn't tolerate it and that that was a serious red line that we couldn't cross. And just we we kept on doing it and provoking it and poking them and. Uh, um it it was in completely crazy and you just have to wonder what kind of people have we got in the US state department and the uh, intel so the the so-called intel community it just uh is amazing stupidity and uh everything that we have done in this Ukraine war for us i guess it's a war for Russia it's been an operation and I think that 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 shows actually the difference, which is that for the Russians, the, the, this is a problem to be solved, and, and namely to render Ukraine a non-problem for that region of the world, which is their sphere of influence. Hmm. You know, for us, it's just a kind of a frenzy that we are creating in another corner of the world that where, where we don't belong, and everything we've done has gone wrong the the uh provocation of uh 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 breaking the minsk agreements and the initially the 2014 color revolution throwing out uh the elected president of ukraine uh and then all of the economic sanctions which have only redirected russia's economic attention elsewhere uh where they actually can can do better than they were doing with Europe and, and, and America and the West. So the whole thing has been a fiasco. Uh, for me, I think it's over, too. Uh, I um, agree with Andre that it's over, and it's been over for quite a It's been self-evidently over for a long time. The question is, uh, what is uh, how, how much more crazy is the defeat of this project this frenzy project going to be for the USA and uh, you know, what kind of uh, uh, nuttery and fuckery is going to follow out of it. Andre. Well, yeah, James has an outstanding the uh, title for his blog cluster fuck, you know, so basically that's, <laughs> that's exactly how it all describes it. And uh, he is absolutely correct. One of the reasons, by the way, when you begin to look at this, and after a couple first months of the special military operation, when the speculations kind of subsided, 
and all this BS, which Pentagon, Intel, so-called community, and a bunch of experts who are not experts at all still, were propagating in mass media, it is self-evident that Russia is at war or at the conflict with the whole combined West, with the whole NATO. And suddenly, uh, and my fourth book is basically about it, but then again, it's continuation of what I'm writing nonstop. They never knew what they were getting themselves into. They didn't know the history. They didn't know their real economy. They didn't understand how warfare works, especially modern warfare. They learned all the wrong lessons. They, uh, you know, it's just to demonstrate to you. Uh, uh, and uh, I want to make a very good point out of it. Few years back, I believe I mentioned this, maybe 15 years or something like that. You can look it up. Mr. Carlo Dieste, the colonel of the U.S. Army, I believe, or lieutenant colonel, who is historian, he wrote the book called uh, The Genius for War. It was about Patton, of course. I mean, uh, nobody from Russian general staff will ever understand what was so genius about Patton. It's primarily Hollywood ideas. But <laughs> he uh, stated while speaking on C-SPAN, I believe, Carlo Dieste, trying to push his, uh, so to speak, writing about this. And he said, Patton was so genius then, uh, uh, he understood from the early age the importance of the roads. And I was sitting like that. No shit, pardon my French. I thought that the Romans understood the importance of uh, uh, roads and they built them precisely for the issues of not only imperial, you know, transportation uh, arteries, but also for the warfare. And so we have people with this depth, quote unquote, who push on these narratives which have nothing uh, in common with the reality of anything. And then, yeah, you have these people. It's an echo chamber uh, who absolutely convinced themselves that what they know about Russia, which they don't, and this is also my uh, main point for many years, Russia study field in the United States and in combined West in general is non-existent. It's primarily wasteland of the academic shysters who are into business saying to people in Washington what they want to hear. And when then you have this type of the expertise, so to speak, which begins to plan a war around the country, which was added for almost, you know, 1000 years nonstop. Well, what do you expect? And we see that thing unfolding in front of us today. Well, even even the logistics are idiotic. Yeah. You know, we're what, 9,000 miles away from, from <laughs> this place? And uh, and Russia is right across the border. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we we have no ability to really supply them with anything. Oh, and, no, and absolutely not. The whole thing's insane. So uh, for me, what, what I'm observing is uh, what will be a convergence of uh, other factors and problems when this thing is resolved in Ru in Russia's favor, that is, when Russia neutralizes this problem. You know, I don't believe that Russia wants to occupy uh, Ukraine. That would be much more trouble than it's worth. I do believe they want to create some kind of a sovereign state that is not going to cause anybody any problems anymore and uh, reinforce some understanding about where borders are in that corner of the world. But for us, uh, we're facing a convergence of uh, other things that really uh, 
uh, add up to the broken business model for running America. And that includes the financial system uh, and our economic activities and the tremendous uh, social friction and um, uh, 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 negative emotion that now uh, runs through the social fabric of America. And uh, so when this war or act or operation is over, you know, we're going to be left with all that. And I, I think that the end of the this situation, which I think will be in 2023 and probably sooner rather than later, uh, I think that will uh, coincide with the breaking of financial uh, markets and uh, uh, currencies and um, uh, the bond market. And uh, that is going to preoccupy America after that. We're not going to have a whole lot of attention left over. In fact, it would probably be to the advantage of these idiots in the State Department and the CIA <clears throat> if all of a sudden everybody's attention in America shifted to the banking system and, uh, and the um, economic failures that we face. And, and you can bet that that's going to get people's attention kind of uh yeah use a bigger explosion to suck the oxygen that, away from well, the fire. ballooning now it, we have the term for that ballooning you know so it's <laughs> balloons. another set of balloons but this times uh this time it's um uh, i totally agree with james uh fact is uh how do you remove their responsibility uh from yourself for what you already did and you committed war crimes and things of this nature well you create the bigger problem you know mm. and the tension moves to and the question is not that just they create uh, it's it's obvious that they can only write the trend which is of course inherent in their uh, system itself the way and here i have to quote uh, michael hudson in this case you know it's just it was uh, uh, the part of the system and financial capitalism is their uh, parasite essentially it's killing the host it's absolutely correct and their special military operation of russia exposed this tremendously you cannot fight with the dollars hmm. you have to have tangibles yeah you have to have to produce things you know uh, it's uh, how how else you can explain it to people you know? Yeah, well, th that that's part of the set of bad choices that we made that they're really mystifying. The idea that we were going to send our entire industrial production to other countries and replace it with this thing called financialization, which is yeah. really just uh, 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 banking and investment fuckery and yeah. and and uh, creating financial instruments that are increasingly divorced from reality. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, manipulating them and then having to change the rules, uh, the banking rules to accommodate all of the distortions and perversions that that creates. Yeah. For instance, destroying the whole mechanism of, of price discovery in markets, which is what the uh, Federal Reserve has accomplished so that so that you don't really know the value of the things, the instruments that are being traded that represent other things. And also the representations of these instruments are they're removed by several steps from anything so that, you know, they're, they're just there's so many steps removed from anything on the ground that they represent nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, probably the epitome of that uh, for, for us now is uh, Bitcoin and things like it. 
um, which have people perceive that they have a reality. The only reality that they you can really claim about them is that they require a, a great deal of electricity to manufacture. But what is it that's being manufactured? An algorithm, yeah. you know, and what, what how are you going to trade that or eat that or make something of it or heat your house with it or do anything? So the financial system has gone mad. I, I have to add, though, that, you know, um, I, I have felt that capitalism is, is not really a belief system at all. It's simply a way of managing surplus wealth. Uh, what what has made it perverse is that we've never lived in a period of history that had so much surplus wealth uh, and uh, attracted so many players playing with it. And that created the the monstrosity of financialization. You, you know, you do need a way to manage surplus wealth. And in any system uh, of of human society, some people are going to have more than other people. And, and um, you know, if they're fortunate, they'll have a little bit left over. You might have more goats than the next guy or a bigger building than the next guy or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and the question is, how do you manage that? And especially when it when when these material things are turned into money, which is to say representations yeah. of value. And so, you know, you actually need something called capitalism, but but you can't allow it to become a perverse monstrosity. And that's unfortunately that was the emergent prop uh, property of uh, banking and finance during this, you know, hyper hypertrophic uh, turbo period of cap turbo capitalism. If entirely agree, entirely agree. And uh the mechanisms of the at least limiting or control of this, uh, uh, as you have absolutely beautifully um, uh, formulated, the managing of the surpluses. We did uh, achieve the technological plateau, so to speak, from which we can move up. But this plateau for the first time in human history allows us to talk about indeed the surplus. You know, and uh, this is not to say that there's no hunger in the world or things. There are issues of that. But uh, obviously, where do we stop, uh, you know, our um, consumption? How much do we need? Obviously, there will be inequality, always. It's it, nothing could be done about that. Uh, Soviet Union tried to do uh, away with their uh, inequality. Uh, so, so to speak, well, guess what? It, it gave the birth to the parasitic class of the nomenclature, nomenclature and, you know, the, again, political elites who were trying to live better than anybody else. And, hey, we'll know what, how it all ended. At some point of time, they decided that, you know what, since we control and manage it, we might as well own it. And they destroyed the Soviet Union and this. And the system, majority of the initial oligarchs in uh, Russia that collapsed of the Soviet Union were people who were with the deep connection with the Communist Party and Komsomol. One of the uh, uh, um, wounded childs uh, of this uh, is Mr. Khodorkovsky, who is now residing in uh, Switzerland and, you know, come up, uh, comes up with all kinds of BS about Russia. Guess who he was? He was the Komsomol, uh, you know, high-level Komsomol functionary. You know, so the rot went through the elite and nothing you can do about it. 
you have to rotate elites. It was at some point of time thought up that uh, democracy, so to speak, or what is passes for democracy or republic, you know, uh, it produces the ability to uh, rotate, so to speak, those elites. No, it doesn't. Look at the American elites today. It's basically, yeah, they're like senators, you know. We have the chamber of the lords nowadays in <laughs> uh, in Capitolium, uh, extremely uh, um, uneducated, extremely corrupt people who pretend that they work for you, you know, and you pretend that you vote for them. And James is absolutely correct on this. I mean, how do you manage this surplus? And the reason uh, those uh, instruments, financial instruments, are correctly known as derivatives, well, we have to speak now for people who even remotely are acquainted with the calculus. These are not first derivatives anymore, my gosh. They are second, third, fourth, and, you know, until, you know, (laughs) nothing is left. And there's, (laughs) you know, who knows what it is. Uh, Yeah. Do you think then if, you know, they're going to use a bigger, a bigger distraction, which would be a market tanking to distract from the failure in Ukraine, could that itself cycle back on itself if the market tanks too much? Will they maybe escalate to a war with China or Russia? Well, I wouldn't assume. I wouldn't assume that they could control yeah. uh, a a collapse of the markets or the currency. I think that once that gets underway, you know, it's really yeah. it has dynamics of of its own. It has uh, uh, you know uh, threshold characteristics that are like an avalanche or or okay, you know, an earthquake. Yeah, uh, consider this: uh, some people in 2014. And then into uh, uh, South and 22 in Washington, uh, primarily State Department in Intel people and those political appointees in Pentagon, those people and those think tanks, those people who lost every single war they ever fought. So can you imagine their professional level there? So and they thought up that, you know what, uh, we will um, provoke Russia into the action, then we slap all those sanctions. And then they will, uh, Ukrainians will stop them and defeat them. And then, you know, Putin uh, regime will collapse. And you literally uh, talking about huge number of people at the position of power in the United States who have no clue. Literally, they have no freaking clue. (laughs) And it's like, it's astounding. When you talk about like, um, um, I have friends, obviously, from uh, military, U.S. military, wonderful professionals. And, you know, when they talk about when we talk about, oh, my gosh, uh, David Petraeus, he was considered the like bright star and things like, OK, what did he even win? The guy who lost war in Afghanistan for crying out loud. And the guy who he commanded in his life, yeah, he commanded CENTCOM. And then, of course, he was known for screwing the pretty unattractive women there. But point is, like, uh, he won't be allowed to command a freaking brigade in the normal armed forces. Yeah. You know, this uh, constant doctrine mongering. Uh, Russia, in Russia, listen, and of course, yeah, I do have my, let's, of course, let's, it's not a secret. I do have my channels of communications with my Russian friends, you know, and especially considering my background. But again, it's even in Russian media. When uh, Alexei Lyankov, former colonel of Russian Air Force, he talks about this in very uh, influential military, very serious uh, publication. He says, 
the only good they are at in United States about it's about doctrines and strategies. They write so many doctrines and strategies, and they <laughs> never follow them. <laughs> the same was uh, admitted by uh, Sergei Georgievich Gorshkov, a legendary uh, commander of the Soviet Navy, who was at some point of time in 1968, I believe, Time Magazine Man of the Year. And he stated, the problem with the Americans is the fact that they never follow their own doctrine. They write those doctrines in huge numbers. They write those strategies. They write all those studies. All of them for not. I mean, it's just absolute waste of time, money, paper, uh, and whatever, the you know, uh, binary code on the computers, and <laughs> absolutely useless crap. Yeah, it's sort of like the art industry in, in America, yeah. which really emerged from the graduate schools in which every single student had to construct a new metaphysic to yeah. justify the the idiocy that they were putting out. You know, the the whatever, you know, the the works of art, which were like, you know, a piece of plastic vomit on the floor of the Whitney Museum. Yeah. And you have to have a whole uh, treatise behind it to explain what it is and oh, I, you know it's, it, it, it well it's you know it's probably true in every uh aspect of american government too where uh you know they've been polluted by this graduate school idea of having to reconstruct the metaphysics of uh your your field every time you do anything do you think the uh the balloon incursion is is unrelated to the war in ukraine Oh, it's related directly. Yeah, yeah. And again, listen. Uh, okay, here it is. Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, again, I have come, uh, obviously easy access to Russian media, and you know, everybody knows it's just to distract. Yeah, you know. And yeah. uh, even Mr. Snowden, you know, yesterday speaking from Moscow, said, "Yeah, it's it's distraction for crying out loud." They know that Bakhmut is about to fall there uh even when you begin to read even wall street journal uh, uh, uh headlines today it pretty much speak you know uh, for themselves they speak for themselves i have to imagine that uh ukraine doesn't have much more than a few weeks worth of ammunition uh, if uh, at best yeah. So I I don't see how they're going to be able to continue this, and and I I'm I fail to see how they're going to uh, resupply. Yeah, they cannot. I mean, uh, unless they begin to throw at, uh, in all those remainders of their now original uh, uh, organic NATO equipment, like they say, Leopard Two, you know, or oh, yeah, we'll, uh, you know, send Abrams. Sure, send it. They will burn the same way. And guess what? They will run out of the same ammunition, which is designed specifically for them. And yesterday, the stream of the statements from Mr. Kirby, oh gosh, it's that's the whole other story. Who, but and other people like um, um, the speaker for the uh, State Department and what have, what have whatever his name, and they're talking about the situation that no, we're not going to give them attackums. We need them ourselves because we have very few of them left. Sure. You know, so in the weeks in the weeks ahead, 
uh, I wonder what you think, Andre, mm -hmm. uh, about how is the USA going to try to save face there? Uh, at some point, Russia is going to uh, make some sort of an administrative statement that this thing is over. And uh, uh, I don't know if Zelensky will ever admit that it's over, uh, you know, unless they chase him out or kill him. Um, but at some point, you know, it's going to turn into an administrative problem. And then uh, somehow the Russians have to manage this in a way that's not going to make the Americans crazy. Do you suppose that they will invite them into some sort of negotiation to to allow them to save face so they won't do something crazy? Uh, certainly possible. I don't know how probable it is, but that's certainly possible. I won't discount this possibility at all because, you, as you already stated, you to make them less crazy. And uh, uh, everybody who is anybody with the common sense knows the score right now. And um, and again, the change of the tone in the last week uh, in U.S. media is absolutely dramatic. You know, of course, they still continue to, you know, package it in all kinds of bullshit that Russians now basically down to one soldier. They, um, to say. <laughs> so, yeah, all this crap like that. But uh, you look at this and suddenly you have the one article after another and it goes through New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Associated Press, you know, USA Today. It's like, wow, something changed. Something is in the air. And um, we have to wait for Putin's speech on the 21st, his address to the Federal Assembly of Russian Federation. And uh, of course, Biden will be speaking uh, in Poland in this uh, case. But uh, if to follow, for example, Mr. Pyotr mm. Tolstoy, who is the member of parliament, member of Duma, and actually the grand grandson of Leo Tolstoy, no less. Hmm. He uh, specifically talking uh, a couple of days ago at Duma TV. The Russian state Duma has its own TV and own broadcast. He stated to uh, foreign uh, um, journalists that uh, in the end, their final political objective is the removal of the regime. So, and it will be achieved. Everybody knows. But the question, as you correctly stated, how do you deal with administrative functions? What are you going to left for Ukraine? You know, and nobody knows this yet except for Russian general staff and Putin himself, obviously, you know. And um, but will United States uh, be invited? As I already stated, possible. But what is 100 uh, percent uh, probable? is that there is a lot of bargaining happening right now behind the scene. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I don't know even how to judge it because I wish I was a fly uh, for half an hour on the wall of uh, Putin's uh, uh, you know, office. And then, but then again, uh, FBI will come for me and then I will be tortured to death. And <laughs> Yeah, but, so. Oh, they'll just torture you with lawyers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They don't. They, they're not going to use waterboards or, or yeah, pliers. Yeah. Just lawyers. Oh, yeah, the scariest stuff of them all. The lawyers. scariest torture of it all is yeah, knock at the door. Well, you hear something. I wonder, um, be, because it, it's now become pretty well known, and and I think partially accepted by the remaining small number of people who think in the USA, 
that uh, the U.S. blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Those, that was an act of war, not only against uh, Germany, but also against Russia. So it was a, an act of war against our friends in this in this pr project and also our adversaries. So it seems to me that might be grounds for the Germans and, and the other members of NATO to not want America to participate in whatever the process is to, that that straightens this business out. It's certainly possible, but uh, for Germans to uh, want anything or to have a, a say in anything, they can start by removing Scholz's uh, government and not voting for Grüne uh, party. That could be a good start. Not that CTU, <laughs> Christian Democratic Union, is any better. They are the same old, you know, uh, but I don't see this happening in Germany anytime soon uh, until it reaches their uh, issue or level of the industrialization, which completely turns them into the third world. And this mm -hmm. is being accomplished by the United States. And I am on the record for years. As much as it sounds cynical and dirty and amoral, it makes total sense for the United States. If I would have been, for example, in the present position, and I would have been uh, pre pretending that I have political power and decision-making power, uh, I would do pretty much the same. I would deindustrialize Europe because you know what? I speak it about it. Americans want to eat too, you know? And that is the uh, simple as that. So I don't think so. United States at this stage will allow Germany to uh, raise its head. And at this stage, I don't think so. Russians, Putin himself, and he was a Germanophile. We know this, you know, he speaks perfect, you know, German. He knows German history. He worked undercover in Germany. So and he will never forgive the German political elite, present elite of, in, uh, of treason. He knew that they will betray him, but when they did it in their, uh, you know, such a public manner as uh, this stupid uh, uh, grandmother uh, Merkel did it, so you do not forgive those things. So in this, you know, there's something else that's going on in the background of all this, which ought to be troubling, which is uh, the Europeans and the Americans are faced with this. Uh, really alarming problem of uh, so many people dying from the vaccine that they yeah. engineered. And uh, right now, it doesn't seem like, uh, well, it, it is a big deal, but it doesn't seem like a big deal if you read the newspapers because they don't report on it. But uh, I think more and more that's going to become uh, a very aggravating factor in the background of what happens in the United States and in Europe and and especially the, the Europeans attitudes towards their governments uh you know I could I could see them I could see that I could see it provoking uh uprisings hmm. uh, possibility. there is certainly a possibility of that but then again uh, uh, and this is where I make my position extremely uh black and white Europe, Europe is not the United States. For all gigantic flaws of the American political system and uh, situation what we're facing today, economic and other, 
we still have actually operable, operational uh, bill of rights. You know, like this kid with the, remember, who sued the shit out of CNN for 20s, whatever the... Oh, yeah. So, and you know what? Uh, recent federal judges, again, shut down any kinds of their attempts on the Second Amendment. So, you see, that's the difference. In Spain, however, when you read the news that some dude broke into the some family's house and the guy who had a legitimate weapon, he wounded him. Guess what? The robber sued the hell out of this family and they lost. This <laughs> is the land of the freaking, it's not Alice in Wonderland. It's a complete mad, mad, mad world there. It's just absolute insanity in Europe. How they will recover from that? And then, of course, let's not forget as much as Marie Le Pen uh, is also their uh, swamp creature. She just, you know, uses their, she rides their, so to speak, nationalist uh, rhetoric, but she's still globalist in many respects. But they trashed her in the recent uh, uh, um, elections. Even if to admit that, uh, assume that there were some kind of irregularities, you know, Macron just thrashed her. So they made their choice in France. They are making their choices, and then they begin to squeal that, oh, my God, we didn't bargain for that. You did. I'm sorry, guys, you know? Yeah, and uh, I was going to say, even in Britain, I, I mean, haven't they arrested something like 3,500 people for tweets? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's 1984. I mean, just on. Un- freaking deliverable god what a <laughs> what a sad downturn from like delivering milk while they're still bombing london just having the balls to just go about life keep calm and carry on to <laughs> having, yeah. having the stasi show up at your front door because you made a tweet that didn't praise i don't know some tranny or some shit tranny yeah it's it's, it's horrible <laughs> that is why uh and this is the another thing which is uh when you look for example in the russian public opinion uh their overwhelming, overwhelming desire in Russia. I don't know percentages, but it's way above 80%, something like 85, 87, whatever. It's about Iron Curtain now. We need to stop this fields, I mean, from streaming into Russia. You know, and I never in my 60 years of life and being the Cold Warrior, I have master's degree of in Cold War, okay? <laughs> degree in sinking U.S. Navy, and uh, I never saw so much contempt in Russia towards combined West. It's unbelievable. It is literally contempt. It's to the point of with who those people are. This their feels, you know. You don't really? want to deal with that, you know. Really, it's it's yeah, it's worse now than any. Uh, that... Oh my gosh, it's un- uh, incomprehensible. I don't even uh, blame them. <laughs> There's nothing in common with the Cold War II right now, and which is pretty much hot. Yeah, you know, it's it's absolutely dramatic change. It's uh, in historical terms, what is thirty years on historic scale? It's instant. It's a minute, a second. Yeah. You know, well, nobody's you know in this case, and um, you look at this, just oh my god, it's unbelievable. It's good for Russia, sure. bad for the West, but <laughs> sure, yeah, it does. Uh... There, there is that just general feeling, and I know everyone always says that at all times, so it's probably not you know, unique to me, but there is a general feeling of, like, something's got to give. I, I, yeah. Whether it's escalation in Ukraine, 
or the southern border or vaccine deaths or censorship or Chinese balloons or the you know the Chernobyl going on in Ohio right now or yeah, China that's another story yeah. my god Something's... it's almost excluded from uh uh only Babylon <laughs> B reports on this properly with Steve Budigi judge or whatever the checking if it was racist <laughs> uh, derailment you know it's um oh god love Babylon what was B. the what were the pronouns <laughs> of the train <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah you know it Something's got to give if it's not already giving. I yeah, mean, it is giving. Yeah, it's it's yeah, we're, we're just the process. We're just seeing it in a very slow. You know, yeah. it, it's a glacier moving over ten million years. You're not. We're not gonna necessarily see it in you know in the immediacy. But something's ha- there's a monumental change that's it shifting is. the pol- the polarity of the world. I mean, and I don't even know if that's. That's a bad thing. I mean, I feel like a multipolar world, or at least a bipolar world, is somewhat more stable. I could be completely wrong. I am 32, and I'm an idiot, but... It no, d- you're not. It, it don't, d- don't sell yourself that low. Okay, I'm, thank you. I, I needed that confidence boost, Andre. Andre is my, my guardian angel. But, I mean, think about 1949, Valentin right? The first... Uh, Russia detonating their first A-bomb. I mean, that arguably led to... You know, we didn't have the uh, we didn't have a monopoly on it, and thus we thought twice about dropping one. That you know, it sounds contradictory, but we are in the most peaceful time when we all have nuclear warheads pointing at each other. I, I think there is something to be said for uh, a a spreading out of power centers that probably leads. To, I mean, it's like competition in the market, right? You don't want yeah. a monopoly. You want you want Tesla and Ford going at each other. It might not be a bad thing. Now it's going to look bad for us, and we're going to go out kicking and screaming, and you know, twerking in front of five-year-olds and calling it progress. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's. I know it's a tired statement, but man, like we are, we're watching the decadence come to a fever pitch. Where it's just... you know, there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain symmetry in what happened with our tremendous victory in World War II. And and by tremendous victory, I don't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, we were uh, more glorious than other countries, but the, other, the, the rest of the world was just so thoroughly uh, uh, defeated or bombed out or, you know, weakened and destroyed. And there we were, you know, with all of our factories intact and, and the ability to just turn it right out and lend money to all these other countries to buy our stuff. And, you know, that that really was what the 1950s were about. So uh, there's a thing called the victory disease, an idea called the victory disease, which is that, you know, when when a country has a great thumping victory, uh, a great glory goes enjoys a great glorious uh, interlude in its history. Um, it plants the seeds of its destruction. And, you know, what we're seeing now is a very symmetrically, uh, uh, a very symmetrical uh, mirror image of the, the victory in World War II. It, but it's being uh, you know now it's being played out as a nation going insane and uh, uh, driving itself into destruction. And um, you know I, I think that the physics of it are kind of e- equal. That the the degree to which we um, uh, 
prevailed in the 1950s and 60s is matched by the degree to which we're destroying ourselves, going crazy and, and ruining uh, our, our civilization now. The law of the preservation of energy, you know, so and yeah. as Churchill said, <clears throat> Monty, our field marshal, Viscount, you know, Montgomery, as he said about him, Monty in defeat was difficult. In victory, he was insufferable. And that's exactly what happened, you know. So Churchill certainly, as much as a jerk he was, he certainly was a very talented jerk. Sure. He was a, uh, what is called the uh, enemy for the Soviet people and Soviet Union, which was respected because he certainly had this thing. Apart from the fact he was a great, great uh, master of the word, no doubt about it. And that's what we have. We have the Monty... Monty's syndrome here. You're absolutely right, uh, James. I you know, you also you you see this this uh, symmetry also in the late 18th century, in the 1780s, where um, France and the United States enjoyed this victory of defeating the greatest empire at the time, which was Great Britain. And uh, so th that that was a great victory. And then you know, a few years later. You turn around and France is uh, uh, in the middle of a revolution. And um, I see a lot of uh, characteristics of the French Revolution in what's going on in, in the USA na uh, right now. The, the whole woke rebellion is exactly like the Jacobin phase of the French Re yeah. Revolution. There is certainly a similarity, I agree. Yeah, and hey, and the Jacobins were put out of business very swiftly when they when they had insulted the French people enough with their with their program yeah. of of disordering French culture, which is what they were doing. They, well, they were tr trying to disorder it in every way possible, you know, even changing the number of days in the week. Yeah, and mm -hmm. they had insulted the French nation enough so that they they got rid of them pretty quickly. But then you get this period of drift after that. Yeah. Uh, with you know very ineffective leadership, and uh, so what what I see happening is the the woke rebellion in America coming to an end after the insults that it has leveled at uh, at the at the nation. You know this twerking in front of five year olds and you know that whole program and 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 the and also what will turn out to be the fiasco of the end of the Ukraine project. And uh, we're going to be in a period of uh, drift. And then these leaders come out of nowhere. That's what happens. Le you know, you do need, uh, the, the, you know, the, the humanity job. needs leaders. The, it, it's inescapably a part of the human condition. Yeah. And you can only live in a vacuum of leadership for so long. So we don't know who's going to be coming along. Uh, they didn't know in France, you know, who was going to be coming along. And what happened? You know, this 26-year-old artillery officer comes to paris fires some grape shot at a mob and the next thing you know everybody turns around and points at him and say they say he's the guy he's the guy yeah who's he's gonna who's gonna arise out of the current we can uh, take a much closer time-wise uh, uh uh example russia 1990s and early 2000s, it's just a complete, I mean, complete human social economic catastrophe. Then comes out this guy, nobody knows who he is, you know. Young. Young, yeah. He was uh, 
He spent a couple of uh, years as the, the director of FSB. And then obviously you begin to understand that, okay, when you begin to look at the figures which have been around him, like Evgeny Primakov, and, but of course they gave way to this guy. And then, well, what do you see? Some people compare him to Bismarck. I think so. You probably have to compare him with Stalin, more benign uh, scale of Stalin. That's what who he is. And th there is a reason Russians consistently vote Stalin as the greatest uh, 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 Russian uh, Soviet uh, leader of the 20th century. Not even Lenin. Not even Alexander Nevsky. You know, and so, and you have the guy, and then. Uh, we have the situation with the team. He, he is not just the only guy. The same as Napoleon uh, pulled from the, uh, who knows where, all those great marshals of Davu, Kalinkor, you know, all, all kinds of those people who obviously have been defeated in the end by Russians anyway. But still, you know, they were, I mean, great, uh, talented people. And, and he married them off to his sisters. Yeah, yeah, and uh, then you look at the team which surrounds Putin, and it's like, oh my God, these are the best people you could possibly find anywhere, you know? And I'm talking on the wide variety, from prime minister to defense minister to general staff to economic block. It's just like, wow. I want to ask you a question, Andre, uh -huh. um, because I'm puzzled by this figure. Um, uh, who has been in you know near the top and at the top of uh, Russian life for for two decades, Medvedev. Um, you know he was briefly uh, president of Russia. Yeah, he was. And now he's in um, you know a deputy what a deputy president or prime minister? No, de deputy secretary of the Russia's National Security Council, Security yes. Council, which is he uh, headed by Mr. Patrushev. What do you what, what's your estimate of Medvedev 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 there? There could be two possibilities, and actually both do not exclude one each other. So it's um, uh, that he's being primed back for the uh, presidency at some point of time, and secondly, uh, uh, the fact that he was the part of this great. Um, shell game uh, um, operation, which was conducted by Russia when he became, the, in 2008, the president of Russian Federation, because he was presented to the West in the time of Russia still being weak as the pro-Western, pro-what-have-you, you know, um, prime minister, uh, first prime minister, and then he became the president. That allows to, broke, uh, to break uh, Putin's tenure in two periods which would, was allowed by the Constitution. And the fact that Medvedev played his role really well, and he, so to speak, occupied for four years the uh, uh, chair of the president of Russia, speaks volumes. So well, he, he didn't uh, offend uh, Putin's uh, circle. No, no. In fact, he was the excellent guy for the cover of uh, when Putin was prime minister under him. And we know that very many reforms, the uh, fruits of which we see today, and which we started seeing after uh, Russia returned Crimea and this massive shift in Russian society, they started under Medvedev, actually, you know? 
And people were like, oh, no, he's not qualified. He's just law professor. Yeah, maybe. But he did his he played his role excellently. And he was the cover. He was this avatar. Oh, he's pro-Western. He's pro-liberal, you know, things of this nature. And West completely swallowed it, you know, line hook and sinker, you know. And guess what? Now the guy is just, he is on record. I hate West. That's what he writes. I abhor them. They want to kill my nation. I mean, this is like, you know, <laughs> really. Yeah, he's been playing the bad cop. Oh, my gosh. He is a very, very bad cop. And many people already then, when he became the president, if you look at Russian uh, serious publications, they were writing already then, don't mis misrepresent Medvedev and misunderstand Medvedev. Because Putin might be the reasonable one in all this, because this guy is a hawk. We just don't know this yet. But yeah, and people from the government, after the whole things became pretty much clear about what was happening, they said, you know what? We didn't want Medvedev to be the president. You know why? He was freaking stomp on us on the, during the you know, uh, 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 you know, conferences. He would demand stuff. He was Stalin, actually, you know? pretty mm -hmm. much and uh unlike putin and they said mm -hmm. when medvedev goes angry you don't want to be near him you know so there you go well you know putin seems to have a remarkable temperament yeah uh, uh and and that has been the key to i think keeping this this ukraine situation from totally exploding is that um <laughs> he's been very patient and um systematic about what he's doing and I think that's one thing that 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 drives the West crazy. Yeah, if you look at Russia Security Council, okay, actually my classmate, uh, two years older than me from my Naval Academy, was the member of the temporary member of Security Council, Admiral Sergei Minailo. He's now the chief. Uh, so, and um, the point is, if you look at the team of the Russia Security Council, it is loaded with the heavyweights and i'm talking about not russian politics international politics you look at mr patroshev you look at mr shaigu you look at gerasimov you look at lavrov you look at uh, uh mishustin these are monstrous people they they are geniuses in many respects and then you have not just putin it's their escort so to speak around him which absolutely they count things they see things way farther than anybody in washington dc and they are they they are very tempered people and medvedev in this particular case yes he's a bad cop my heart god they better pray <laughs> but fact is he is a real bad cop it's not like he's playing it he mm -hmm. was always like that he just played the role and now they better pray that he doesn't become the president of russia it reminds me of what uh, my, one of my favorite college professors did once he he, uh, he asked us, uh, why did um, Achilles drag Hector around the city of Troy three times? I don't know. Because he was just that pissed. <laughs> okay, yes. That, there you go. So, uh, and yeah, you look, and again, it's as I already stated, you look as with your uh, French analogy, Here's the much closer to the uh, uh, time-wise to us, Russia. Look at what was Russia 90s. The mm -hmm. reason I ended up in the United States were 90s. The collapse of the Soviet Union and then, of course, the situation. If you would know what Russia was 93, 94, 
believe me, I, I knew. You literally have the country which was disintegrating. You literally have the criminal clans uh, fighting for the political power in uh, the And those were people you don't want to deal with. I mean, so. I, I did a podcast this morning. I recorded it. I haven't put it up yet with uh, Dmitry Orlov. Do you, oh, know, yeah. do you know Dmitry? Oh, I know. I know him. I don't know close personally, but I know who Dmitry is and we yeah. communicate once in a while. Um, I'm not a close friend of, of his, but uh, we met a few times when he was still in the USA. And um, uh, the way he speaks of uh, life in Russia. Now, Dmitry, uh, Dmitry's parents came to the USA when he was 12 years old. They were dissidents and they managed to get out uh, of the Soviet Union. And um, uh, Dmitry spent 40 years in the USA, basically all of his young manhood uh, until he was middle aged. And then he went back to Russia. And uh, the way he speaks of his life there, uh, it sounds like he's living in a country that is, uh, you know, a sane country with comprehensible rules and and laws and culture. And he's very happy there. And, um, you know, you get the feeling that there's something has happened in Russia in the last uh, 10, 15 years that has been a remarkable transformation back into what what used to be a normal European nation, you know, and uh, and in particular, a, a normal European Christian nation. And and uh, meanwhile, the rest of Western civilization has just uh, decided to dive down the drain. That was my impression. You know, I, I don't I'm not a Rus Russophile particularly, yeah. but you can't fail to notice that something is going on there that uh you know that's working a lot better than what's going on around here hmm. in 2018 uh me and my classmate actually he he is uh the uh friend of uh, my childhood friend we grew up largely together at very old uh, uh early childhood here uh, two years older than me by the way classmate of this uh people <laughs> including number of admirals and we were sitting at the one wonderful Georgian restaurant in uh, St. Petersburg behind the Kazan Cathedral, and it's uh, wonderful. And he was talking about it, and we didn't see each other for a long time. And he said, you know what? At 2005, six, we thought it was over, you know? We, we kind of felt that it was over. And then within two years, something like magically happened. You know, it's just, he said, I cannot explain it. And it and I haven't been in Russia that time. And he some and something happened, and you know, oh, things will will be okay. It's it, it's a, it took couple of years, and then things started to change in some way we couldn't even foresee before that. But what it, I wonder about is, um, you know, the the Soviet experiment was so brutal, uh, and and it did so much uh, cultural economic damage. I wonder if what what happened was that it took 20 years for Russian culture to remember how to do some normal things like business. Because it seemed to me that they had forgotten how to do that in, in the 90s. And that was the reason that they were taken advantage of by the asset strippers of the West. And, uh, you know, when they finally got to the point where they, they uh, 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 recovered 
their skills for for uh, you know regular transactional human life. That that probably built their confidence back up again, and uh, allowed them to go forward and be normal. I can tell you one thing. First, we need to uh, make a caveat here about the Soviet period. Westerners, especially Western Russia studies ex experts, they do not understand the real, real uh, impact of the Soviet system. Because what many people don't understand, what was Russia uh, prior to 1917 and prior to World War I? It was a backward society. It had a very outstanding elites in many respects, but it was primarily peasant country with very much illiterate population. And it was 1914. Half of the Russian army was illiterate. Can you can you imagine this? But it's the statistics of the Russian general staff from, from mm -hmm. 1913. And so you have this, and then in 57 you launch Sputnik, and in 1945 you defeat the uh, greatest military power of the combined Europe. So it's like, uh-oh. But then, of course, we have the situation with the corruption on the uh, top level. And uh, but in 90s, obviously, everything what was accumulating there in terms of the human, uh, well, uh, not the best representatives of human uh, capital of Russia, so to speak, it obviously surfaced. But uh, there pretty much everything what is happening today in Russia, the roots of Russia's success today are actually in the Soviet Union. Because uh, absolutely, when you look there at Russian army, guess what it is? A lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is taken from the Soviet military thinkers. Mm -hmm. Technology, education, my gosh, finally. By the way, this is a good, uh, just to demonstrate to you, State Duma now finally discussing of removing Solzhenitsyn from literature curriculum in Russia. Finally, the guy was writing basically fiction about, you know, and that's why he was very much lauded in, in the combined West, because he wrote fiction about everything. And uh, so when you look at this, so the understanding of the impact of the Soviet Union on modern Russia is extremely important. But Russia is a capitalist society, but it will be, and it's that's where it's moving back. It's moving back to the classic state capitalism you know, with uh, Russian uh, state, which is regulated through the obviously election system, and this are obviously Duma and a very strong presidential power controlling strategic industries. That means strategic resources like oil, gas, you know, the uranium ores and things of this nature, and pretty much free enterprise on everything else. Well, you know, here's a question about that. Um, my impression was that uh, there was a great deal of uh, uh, ineptitude in the Soviet bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, but uh, how do you estimate the how, how do you estimate the, uh, the the regulatory bureaucracy of Russia now? Is it capable? Is it competent? Um, some of it is. Others is a classic Russian bureaucracy filled with the bribe taking you know, corruption and uh, nepotism. And this uh, uh, reflects not necessarily badly on Russian bureaucracy necessarily. It's, it's everywhere like this, you know. Another matter, in the United States, you go out and say, oh, okay, let's remove bribes, let's make lobbying official. 
And this is like, you know, so, and of course, let's call the, uh, what's the name of corporations, uh, humans, uh, humans, and <laughs> let them contribute. Uh, same uh, goes on in, in Russia in this respect, but there is an um, uh, understanding that you need to maintain a very strong uh, middle to upper level elite. Mm -hmm. And uh, Russia have been building and implementing a very serious elite education on an extremely serious level. I know some of my friends went through it. And when you look at this, that uh, it's kind of people in Russia understand that even if Putin goes, okay, anytime soon, the mechanism is already in there, which will be nothing like Soviet bureaucracy. And then, of course, we have to understand another thing, and that's important, what many people miss. Russia is extremely computerized country. What, what many people say, what? Yes, it is extremely computerized. Actually, Russian uh, computerized banking is outstanding. You do everything on the phones. Russians do all their things financially on their phones. And of course, uh, in terms of their uh, control of the bureaucratic process nowadays, it's uh, it removed a lot of corruption by the virtue of going completely technological. And hmm. there you go. Well, you know, the the most tragic thing about this phase of uh, geopolitics, uh, geopolitical history for me is uh, the fact that the whole um, all of this antagonism between the U.S. and Russia was unnecessary. Oh, absolutely. We had an awful lot in common culturally and uh, we could have been friendly with each other and instead um, our government decided that we had to make a, a, a fetish out of uh, antagonizing Russia for no good reason. And this is the climax of that project. Um, I want to point out to this thesis of yours. Russians and Americans are much closer culturally than Russians and Europeans. And I'm talking about dramatically close, order of magnitude. I always say that uh, Russian trailer trash and American trailer trash, I mean, they're just, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't make any distinction between them except for their language. They even look similar, you know? So Russian rednecks and American rednecks, I mean, same thing, you know? So Shitting it's guns, that's drinking the vodka. Thing. Yeah, so this is why, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just put the freaking, you know, petard up somebody's ass light it and see what happens that's typical you know uh you know but the point is that that is why for example people people ask me all the time why don't you go back to russia first for starters uh we don't have much you know of what to wear go back to you know and secondly we uh in terms we would never be able to live in europe for example never but here in the united states we're just like yeah you're one of us you know so you, know, you, you might be a jerk or an asshole, but they like, you know, <laughs> say, no, you just, you know, and this is, and I spoke to my friend, he was visiting me, a very good friend of mine. He was visiting me a few days ago, actually, and I've been talking about this and I told him what many Americans still do not understand. In the United States, once you become, you know, you make yourself it's still this fundamental foundational principle in the United States still preserve itself. Doesn't matter who you are. 
Russian, you know, Jamaican, uh, you know, if you're black, white, green, or blue, whatever. But if you made yourself, you pay taxes, you are just normal person, you will be treated like, you know, just like any normal person. They might ask you, you know, like, oh, what are your accent from? Oh, Russia. Oh, yeah, Russia. Yeah, we know. It still remains here. And guess mm -hmm. what? I live in one of the most liberal and woke states in the world, which is, of course, Washington, you know? And uh, it's this is not how it works in Europe. No, no way. Mm -hmm. You will always be an alien there. And for now, mm -hmm. America preserves this unique quality about itself, you know? So, and this is what makes it so different, despite huge American flaws, and that is why when you speak, James, about that culturally Russians and Americans close. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I don't wish my own country uh, ill. Um, I would like my country to uh, recover from this crazy period that it, it fell into. And um, I would like uh, the American economy to uh, manage to reorganize itself in a coherent way that that forms a, a business model that can actually take care of the society. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Absolutely. we don't see much sign of that happening right now. You know, it will happen emergently, yeah. but uh, but but the the people who run things are going to have to be dragged kicking and screaming to that place. And actually, they you know a lot of them will not be running it anymore. So yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're I think we're heading into a period of considerable disorder in in America. I agree. And, but I do think that we can get through it. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not that bleak about the the final outcome of it. And despite, yeah, despite my last book, which is disintegration, I'm still <laughs> writing about only indications. I'm indicators. Yeah. And uh, I am on record for many years in uh, between Europe and United States. United States has a much higher probability of preserving itself than what is happening uh, in Europe now. In the end, if you look attentively, United States has resources. Mm -hmm. It does. It's not as big as Russian resources, but there are resources. United States, everything has pretty much everything to succeed. And I know some and we of have those we have those two oceans protecting us. Yeah, but nobody wants to attack United States. And if United States behaves itself properly, it pro it will never again be in what it perceived itself to be, be this hegemon. But it will always remain the major country globally. No doubt about it. It will always remain uh, there uh, uh, as much as this GDP is completely blown out of the proportions, you know, but it will always remain a major economic power and it obviously will remain the major uh, uh, military power. But it has to be absolutely, uh, uh, the rethinking has to be done. For Europe, uh, I don't see EU continuing for much longer. Yeah. And I think so NATO will collapse eventually. So how fast? It's another matter. It's mm -hmm. debatable, obviously. And um but that's what uh, my point hey i have vested interest i live here i'm a citizen <laughs> why would i wish the country i i actually love you know for all its flaws too you know and we live in and uh, you know to, why would i wish this country to collapse no i want no. it to be successful 
elderly. And as I remember on Pat Buchanan, God bless his soul, a couple 20, 20 or 15 years ago had this epiphany. Oh, capitalism is not about markets. For markets to emerge, you need to have law and order. Oh, no shit. Yes. <laughs> you need to have this. Yeah. After that, you can talk about economy, you know? So that's what is this all about. Yeah. 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 I agree with James. I, agree and, with and, you know, I think the most disturbing thing about what's going on right now is just the sheer lawlessness of the authorities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, everything from everything from the elections uh, to the... Uh, Child the one, you know, the way that the Department of Justice and the FBI are behaving, these are very, very disturbing. But, uh, you know, we're also living in a moment when a lot of that bad behavior is going to be exposed. And, well, uh, being exposed, yeah, right? yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, if we see our own artillery officer who's going to yeah, arrive yeah, out of the well. chaos. Well, Trump wasn't it. He turned out to yeah. be absolutely empty suit, but he could have won elections easily if he had enough fortitude and courage to go to Minneapolis <laughs> yeah. personally yeah. and declare the state of emergency in Minnesota. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. yeah. he never did this because he was always a coward. And after he appointed uh, in 2019, uh, uh, John Bolton. Oh Jesus! He disclosed, disclosed uh, why he liked Mr. Mattis yeah. because he walked up and looked nice in uniform. I wait myself. It's over. Yeah. Guys, yeah. Once, once he brought Bad back move. In, yeah. Once he brought back in Bolton, I was like, something's fucked. Yeah. It just. Yeah. It was clear. It's yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. guess it seemed like a good idea at the time. I guess it seemed <laughs> like a good idea at the time. For I mean. him. For him. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think uh, I personally think Andre should run for president. I think we no, should. No, 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 no. No, we'll no, change some sir, laws. I cannot, no, we'll and change no. some rules, and I think no, I'll, no, no, no. I'll form a super PAC with all twenty dollars no, in my savings no. and push Andre for president. Yeah, yeah but, but Steve, if it would have been possible. I would never do that. And, <laughs> and you know, Steve Kirsch, Steve Kirsch just started a, a super, super PAC, PAC for, for to, to put RFK. For Bobby Kennedy. Who knows, yeah. man? That would be that would kind of be a beautiful uh, arc. If a, well, a reverse coup, a Kennedy came back in and kicked out all the fucking demons. Incredibly symmetrical. It would be it. It would be the conservation of energy. It would be perfect karma. It would just yeah, be. Yeah. I don't know if it will though. Yeah. So long. So long as we have uh, men wearing thongs dancing in front of five-year-olds, I don't see how this society <laughs> can last. I. I don't. And I don't. Yeah. It's a. Uh, that's a. Uh, that's a bad indicator. Yeah, but, that's um, it. That's the bottom of the barrel, baby. That's a bad, yeah. You go into the hospital and you have no blood pressure and no brain activity. They're like, these are some bad indicators. Man, when there are grown men with neon hair dancing in front of children with a neon sign that says it's not going to lick itself and the majority of people go, that's brave. Yeah. Yeah, man, shit's yeah. fucked. So, uh, yeah. But with that, gentlemen, I kept you half hour longer than I said I would because I can't be trusted. And uh, But guys, if you're listening, go get Andre's book. It's in the description. Uh, go check out both their blogs. And um, Andre, James, I'd uh, love to have you guys on again. It's sometime. been a pleasure. I'm really glad to meet Andre. Finally, we, 
uh, talk to each other. Wonderful. Thank you very yeah, much. It's a great and pleasure. Thank you, Thomas. Absolutely, guys. Thank us. you. Thank you for coming on here, man. You're both brilliant, and uh, y'all talking and using facts and figures makes me look smarter. I just have to sit here and nod. So I appreciate. Ah, uh, you. you're good enough. I appreciate. <laughs> oh, you, uh, Andre, just puffing puffing up my ego. Just what I needed, <laughs> gentlemen. Thank you so much, and um, yeah, guys, go to the description, go to the blogs, get the books, follow them on social media, all that good stuff. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Stay safe, everybody. Recording stop. Thank you so much. Peace.